Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you could join us. You're listening to part 10 of our series in the book of Galatians. So whatever you're doing, wherever you are, sit back, relax. Here it is. So we've been kind of moving a little bit slow, um, but we're actually going to hit all of chapter 5 today. So we'll see what happens. Um, But because we're hitting all of chapter 5, I just want to hit... One verse to get us started, then you can sit down. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, it says, it is for freedom. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. I want to call the message today, the third way, the third way. Way. Can we clap our hands for Jesus one more time? You guys can take a seat in this place. How's everyone doing today? Okay, it's one of those days. Hey, you're going to have to drag. I'm going to have to get it out of you today. How's everyone doing today? Okay, if you're not doing good and you don't want to make noise, that's okay. By the end of today, I hope that you're going to be doing good and you're going to make noise, and I'll do whatever I can to get that out of you. So, uh, If you guys don't know, my name is Harrison. So glad you could be here. As I said, we are in the midst of a series going through the book of Galatians. This is part 10. I'm super excited to share. and I'm just super excited to be here, super excited to lead this church. Uh, We have an amazing church, if you guys did not know that. Um, We have so many talented people in our church that um, not just serve in this church, but do crazy and cool things outside of this church. Um, I don't know if you guys saw... um, but uh, our drummer today, uh, his name is Johan, and he, he ran away somewhere, so I'm not sure if he's going to be here for the story. But uh, if you guys could not tell, um, beneath his jacket, Johan is currently shredded. Uh, he's, uh, he's actually competing um, in a competition in about three weeks, just bodybuilding. And so uh, if you want to know what he looks like shirtless, save it for later. But you can go on Facebook and find out. Um, but uh, I was talking uh, with Johan a few weeks back, and we were having a conversation, and I was just kind of asking him about how his regiment was going, uh, what, what his training was like, and I asked him kind of about working out, like, what does your workout schedule look like? And he was like, honestly, Harrison, you know what, at the end of the day, like, I work out, but really, he said, like, 99% of what I'm doing is all about my diet. If you diet well, he's like, working out doesn't really matter. And so he's been dieting for, like, six months or something like that, just, like, eating all the eggs and oatmeal and protein bread, all that good stuff. And so uh, as we were talking about his diet, I said to him, I was like, man, you probably can't wait till your your diet is finished. Uh, And you probably have a list of food that you want to eat like after your diet is done. And he's like, oh yeah, I got a whole list of things that I'm going to eat. And I have a whole list of people I'm going to go eat with when I'm off this diet. Um, But he said something. He said, uh, but I have to be careful because when I've done my diet, like, I've been going hard, and he said dieting's really hard. It affects a whole lot of things, your mood, whatnot. Um, but, like, when I'm, when I'm done dieting, the temptation is to go from, like, one extreme to the other, right, and just start eating everything in sight. And he said, I can't do that because if I do that, he said, I'll actually damage my body. Like, there's, there, there's a sacrifice for eating good, but there's also a damage, like, for not eating good. And it's even worse after you've been dieting in extreme for a long time. But there's kind of this temptation, you guys know what I'm saying, where, like, when you start on one extreme, you kind of feel like when you're done that, you want to go to the other. This is actually one of the reasons that diets, a lot of times, like, they don't work in the long run for a lot of people. Because they'll diet for a number of weeks, but when they're done, they kind of just go hard in the hood. And it's like, all of this was 
for none. But uh, the reason I'm telling you guys this story is because I think it's kind of a microcosm for how we as people live. We kind of as people, we like to live on the extremes. And what I mean is that we are either one thing or the other. You guys know what I'm talking about? I'm either, I'm either eating really good or like I literally don't care. Like I'm one or the other. And I think like we kind of live in this world and really the last like two and a half years have brought it out where we also feel kind of this pressure, uh, I think, to almost feel like we need to pick a side. Like I need to live in one extreme or the other. We see kind of this tribalism. You guys know what I'm talking about? And it's like, well, uh, and we've seen this a lot in the last couple of years. It's like, you know what? Like I'm either a right wing or I'm a left wing. I'm either like a, a conservative or I'm a liberal. I'm either pro-vax or I'm anti-vax, right? We, we just feel as people we need to live on one side or the other. Now, I, I think that the reason I'm talking about this is because today uh, we're continuing our series going through the book of Galatians. And uh, in Galatians, if you guys have not been with us, I'll kind of bring you in onto where we are. But there is a central conflict in the book of Galatians. And the central conflict is simply this. Um, as we follow Jesus, am I under grace or am I under the law? Am I under grace or am I under the law? Now, what we've seen over and over again in this series, Paul has said last week, the week before, the week before, the week before, the week before, and before, that you are saved by grace. Come on, somebody. A couple people understand. Saved by grace through faith. He's, he's, he's hammered that home. Last week, he went as far as saying grace, um, uh, even uh, the, the law, he said, enslaves us. And so he used this kind of provocative language. If you guys remember last week, he says, the law enslaves us, so throw out the slave. You guys remember that? He said, throw out the slave, throw out the law. And so um, last week, that was kind of the message. If you guys were there, Paul has those words like, hey, we're not under the old, we're under the new. So throw out the old, the law enslaved. And very specifically, he says, the law that was given to Moses on Sinai, which that's insinuating the Ten Commandments, that law and everything that followed enslaves us. And so um, there, there's a girl on our team. Her name's Kim. She's not here today. We'll pray for her. But she came to me uh, after service last week. And she said, um, just kind of paraphrasing, she said, Harrison, you are by far one of the greatest voices of our generation. Um, <laughs> thank you. Um, no, what she said, uh, she said, Harrison, like, I heard the part, like, where Paul says, um, like, Kate, like, the law and slaves throw out the law. But Kim, very astute, um, and, and by the way, we love Kim. She leads our, one, of our youth, one of our youth leaders, and she's just amazing. Um, and she's amazing because she listens to the sermon. Um, she says, so Harrison, like, okay, Paul says, throw out the law, like the law enslaves us. But, like, what about, like, morality? She's like, what about, like, you know, like not killing, not stealing? Like, what, like, where does that take place when Paul says throw out the law? And I said, Kim, great question. This was last week. I said, come back next week. And I'll give you the answer. So she's probably watching online. That's, that's what we'll say. Um, so today, we're going to answer the question. And the reason I talk about extremes is because when we understand this idea of law and grace, a lot of us have this idea that law and grace exist on two opposite ends of the spectrum. In other words, law and grace contradict each other. What I want to show us today is that law and grace do not contradict each other as much as they complement each other. 
And so they are not actually on two ends of the spectrum. What is on two ends of the spectrum, which I'm going to show today, is the wrong understanding of the law and the wrong understanding of grace. Now, the wrong understanding of the law that Paul has brought forward to us every single week in this series is that the law will save us. That is wrong. The law will save us. He says we're under grace. And so we as humans, because we like to live on extremes when we say, okay, I'm not under the law, I'm under grace, we think, therefore, grace must mean I can do whatever I want. Both of these are the extremes, and they are neither, neither of them actually encompass the idea of what truth or what grace and law actually means. So, as I said, truth and grace, truth and law, um, grace and law, better words, grace and law. The truth is about grace and law. I'm twisting myself. They don't contradict. They complement. So when Paul says law and the law is done away with, we must understand what does he mean when he says that. And so there's kind of this tension. And what I want to talk about today when I talk about the third way is I want us to understand that Jesus does not exist on either end of these spectrums. Does that kind of make sense? So I'm going to get into it and really kind of get theological for a moment. Can I get theological? I, I try not to always use a whole lot of theological terms, but um, I need to for today's message in order for everything to make sense. Now, some people may be like, Harrison, like, I don't want you to use theological terms. Why can't you just talk about love? I got so much better. But we need to understand, and, and Sid kind of said it, is that our worship is a reflection of our revelation. In other words, if you have bad revelation, a.k.a. bad theology, you will not be able to worship God properly. So I need to dig into some theology and some good theology in order that we can worship God properly. So can I teach for just a second? Good? A few people? Okay. Cool. So when Paul says, I'm not under the law, what does that mean? And what is the role that the law plays? Even more so, maybe you've been sitting here for the last nine weeks saying, Harrison, when Paul talks about law, what is the law? What does that mean? So... I'm explaining to you right now with a fancy little graphic. So when Paul says under the law, another name for that is the Old Covenant. The law, which also is called the Old Covenant, is found primarily in the books of Genesis to Deuteronomy, but most specifically Exodus to Deuteronomy. All of those books and all of the laws that come with them is, are what, is what Paul is referring to when he talks about the law. That is the law. Now, the law in itself, if you guys are having a great time, Sid's love and life, reading old, the book of Exodus right now, if you guys are in Exodus, Leviticus, having a great time, you'll understand and you'll see there's a whole bunch of laws. A whole bunch of laws. And in the book, there are generally three different types of laws. There's ceremonial laws. So these are things to do with like temple worship, sacrifices, holy days, Sabbaths, clean, unclean, these are all ceremonial laws or um, festivals, ceremonious things. Does that make sense? Those are the first types of laws you'll see when you're reading the law or the law of Moses. The next thing you'll see is what are called civil laws. Now, civil laws are literally public laws for Israel, right? Like don't jaywalk. Now, that's not actually in the Bible, but that's like a civil law. And so if you want to understand civil laws, there's a whole bunch um, You'll read them, you'll go through it. Some are kind of weird. It's like when two people are fighting and someone grabs your husband's testicles, what do you do? Weird law, but it's in there. Whole bunch of civil laws. Read your Bible. Bible's not boring, you're boring. So, ceremonial, civil. Uh, and the third type of law you will see when you read the, the really the old covenant, first five books, the Torah, um, are moral laws. And moral laws are anything that have to do with morality. 
right? Does that make sense? Like, don't kill, don't steal, treat people good. Those are moral laws. Now, where people kind of get confused is some people think that the law is broken into these three categories. Meaning, if I go to a certain chapter, I will now be in civil, a certain chapter, I'll now be in moral, so on and so forth. That is not true. When you read these books, you will see they switch back and forth all the time because it's just law. And for the nation of Israel, there was real no distinction between ceremonial, civil, and moral because they would keep them all, or at least they were supposed to. And so I want to show this because I just think it's important to understand kind of how the Torah is laid out, and I'll give you some practical examples. So good example of this is Leviticus 19. So Leviticus 19, verse 18, it says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Some people are like, didn't Jesus say that? He did. He was quoting Deuteronomy, or Leviticus. So that right there, civil, moral, or ceremonial, what do you guys think? That would be a moral. That's a moral law, right? Treat people well. Don't seek revenge. That has to do with your morality, right? So you might think, oh, like, okay, now we're talking about behavior. Nope, switches up right away. Verse 19, he says, keep my decrees. Do not mate Different kinds of animals. Okay, okay, kind of makes sense. Do not plant your field with two different kinds of seed. Okay, now I'm confused. Do not wear clothes woven, 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 <laughs> woven of two kinds of materials. Even weirder, kind of more obscure, right? Now, this one's, it's kind of, we'll see what you guys think. Would you guys say that's a moral law? Anyone think those are moral? Pr- probably not. You could maybe make a case about the kind of animals, but... Definitely under that, not moral. Um, This, to me, would probably, because it's not really to do with worship, it's probably more of a civil law, but you could maybe make the case this is a ceremonial law as well. Point being, it doesn't really matter. What I'm trying to show you is when you read the law, the law is not laid out neatly as you might be. And so when Paul speaks about law, what you need to understand is he's speaking about all of it. So as I'm going to skip a slide, um, and I'm going to go to verse 30. Leviticus 19, verse 30 says, Observe my Sabbaths. And have reverence for my sanctuary, for I am the Lord. So, pretty easy. That one is definitely a ceremonial, right? It has to do with worship, temple, ritual, Sabbath, so on and so forth. But this kind of sums it all up. Paul said, or the Leviticus says, keep my decrees, this is God, and all of my laws. You can highlight that, all of my laws, and follow them, for I am the Lord. So, um, one of the funny things that Paul said last week, because he's been making this argument in the whole book of Galatians to say, um, we don't need to come under the law. And then he has this line last week. He says, for those of you that want to come under the law, do you even know what the law says? And so when he's saying that, I'm almost envisioning Paul is looking at this place here where it's talking about the mixing of fabrics. Like, hey, you want to come under the law, but do you even know what the law says? If you guys want, you can look at your tag right now. If you are wearing 50% polyester, 50% cotton, you are breaking the Old Testament law. It is simple as that. It says, do not uh, plant your field with two different kinds of seeds. Any gardeners here? If you got the platunias and the roses together, you're breaking the law. And so when Paul says we are no longer under the law, all of these things are encompassed in it. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is how do I make sense of this? Right? Because when we talk about like the seeds and the animals, like that stuff kind of makes sense. Like I get it. Like I can, I can, I can, yeah, I'm not under that. 
But then when it talks about love your neighbor as yourself, like that, that sounds really good. That sounds true and tried. So like, how do I understand the words of Paul when Paul says we are no longer under the law? Two things. Number one, you need to understand the classification system because it'll help you understand the Old Testament and see how it transfers to the new. In short, what you'll see is that God's morality never changes. But in essence, everything in the Old Testament law is not bad, is not dumb, is not stupid, is not irrelevant. What you need to understand as we read kind of these obscure things in the Old Testament, everything points to Jesus. Listen, if you're trying to understand what the heck is two different fabrics, as you read it, let one thing go through your mind over and over and over and over again. Everything points to Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament points forward and is fulfilled in Christ. You see, Paul's whole worry in the book of Galatians is that as the people are saying, I want to go back to the law, I want to come under the law, what Paul is arguing is that if you go back under the law, if you go back to the old way, you will miss the very thing that the old was pointing to, which is Christ. And so this whole thing in this book is do not come back under the old. Don't go under the old covenant because we are now no longer under the law. We are under Christ. We're under Christ. This is known as the new covenant. If you can put it up there, Aja. And the new covenant, pretty simple. We are no longer under the law. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ. Jesus, we've said it, come on. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Your salvation is found in Christ alone. It is not as a result of what you do. It is not results of rituals. It is not as a result of morality. You are saved because Jesus has made a way where there was no way. And so the result of coming under the law is legalism. It is legalism. I'm going to explain this, but I'm going, to, I'm going to read through a whole bunch of verses right now because what happens, you're going to see this because we're talking about the two sides of the spectrum. The first we're going to talk about is this idea of legalism, and Paul's going to explain it in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Then I'll show you the other side. So we're going to read some verses. Again, Galatians 5.1, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free, so don't become a slave. This is really important. What is Jesus' heart for you? If you are ever wondering, what is God's heart for me? When God asks me to do something, what is his heart? Each and every time, God's heart for you is freedom. It is always freedom. If you are confused, like, well, I don't, like, sh should I do this? If it is not giving you freedom, it is not from God. God's heart for you is always freedom. So Paul says, mark my words. I, Paul, tell you, if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you. This is a very, very stern warning. He's talking about the law. I declare every man who let himself be circumcised is obligated to obey the whole law. In other words, you do not get to pick and choose what parts of the law you like and which parts of the law you come under. Like, I like circumcision. I don't know why you would love that one, but... Um, <laughs> I love, you know, like, sure, I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to not plant seeds that are the same. But Paul says, you don't get to pick and choose. But the crazier thing, he says, if you come under the law, he says, you are trying to be justified and you have been alienated from Christ. You're not with Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Why? Because you are trying to do things. Listen, the law points to Christ. If I use the law as a way to salvation, I don't need Christ. Yeah. 
That's what he's saying. So you fall away from grace. For though the Spirit eagerly awaits faith, the righteousness for which we hope, for in Jesus Christ there is neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressed through love. That's all that matters. So he says, you're running such a good race. Right? Larger context, Paul plants this church, teaches them the gospel. He's like, you guys are doing so good. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? Kind of a play on words, who cut circumcision, come on. Who cut in on you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion, look at this, does not come from the one who calls you. It's not from Jesus. If you've ever been in a place where you believe that your relationship with God depends on what you do, and if what you do is the only thing you can do to come into the presence of Jesus, what he is saying, he's saying that, that, that does not come from God. It is not from him. And the worst part about this, and we see this in Galatians, is that message does not come from outside of the church primarily. It comes from inside of churches. But Jesus says, that doesn't come from me. That does not come from me. That persuasion does not come from me. He says, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. This is a vivid metaphor. You see, the reason Paul is so extreme in his language when he says, get rid of the law, throw out the whole thing, is because even just a little bit works its way through the whole thing. Now, I've met some crazy Christians before. I have yet to meet the one that doesn't mix fabrics. Maybe one day I'll meet these people. But what happens is most people, they get enslaved to religion. What they do not realize is they are taking one thing. It's just one small thing. Like that's just, Harrison, it seems practical, so I I think I have to do it in order for God to approve of me, whatever it may be. But what Paul is saying is he uses this metaphor. He's like, it doesn't take a lot. It's just one little thing. It's just one little thought. It's just just one bad piece of advice, just one bad theological idea. And it can literally rot the the whole batch. Your whole picture, your whole understanding of God can be marred. Maybe someone has told you before something when you're going through a season, a hard season, a painful season, a broken season. Someone said to you, you know what? This is God's plan for you. And you're like, God's plan for me is to go through death and pain and heartbreak. That was God's plan. Yeah, it's God's plan for you. And it sounds kind of spiritual, I guess. But this yeast works through your heart. And then you begin to realize and begin to think, which is, is not true, that God is the orchestrator of bad things in my life. See, when I say that proper theology will always affect our worship, if I have a bad theological picture of God, I will not be able to worship him. I just won't because it'll make its way through and a little small thing can become a really big thing. And if you're stuck in this old covenant mindset, this law mindset, whatever that thing is, it doesn't have to be big, but it'll work its way through the batch. And so he says, I'm confident. I love this. I'm confident the Lord, in the Lord, you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Another harsh warning for religious people. Whoever's doing this for you, whoever's throwing you off, whoever's making you stumble, they will pay. They're gonna pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In other words, he's moved on, like, He was a Jew. I'm not a Jew anymore. But I'm being persecuted. I'm not being persecuted because uh, he is being persecuted, he says. So in that case, 
if I was, the offense of the cross would have been abolished. You see, the cross is offensive. And the reason the cross is offensive is because it literally cancels the debt of law. The debt of law is like, because you can't keep it, you're not righteous, you're not holy, you're separated from God. The, gro- the cross is offensive because it literally cancels the debt. But what Paul is saying, he's saying, the moment you go back to that old way of thinking, you're actually neutering the cross of Jesus. You are neutering his sacrifice. And so this is where he gets real fired up. He says, as for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. What does that mean? It means he's saying, I wish they would cut their testicles off. You're like, that's in the Bible? I told, how many times am I going to tell you? <laughs> the Bible is not, it isn't boring. But Paul is fired up. Paul is saying, for those of you uh, that are trying to make people, who are trying to enslave people to the old way, to, to the circumcision way, he's like, I wish you would go the whole way and cut everything off. Like, you're like, Harrison, that doesn't sound very loving. No, it is loving, and I'll tell you why. And I'll tell you why Paul is fired up. Because nothing makes, and this is Jesus, Paul, me here today, nothing makes, nothing should make you as followers of Jesus more fired up than people that claim to be followers of Jesus that are ruining the picture of who God actually is. Nothing should fire you up more than that. And so Paul's like, hey, I wish they would go all the way. (laughs) I I could get graphic if I wanted to. I had a funny thought go through my head, but I'm not going to do it today. But Paul's passion, listen, his passion is rooted in his want and his deep desire. Listen, I have experienced the gospel of Jesus. Nothing comes close to the God, Lord. Nothing comes close to grace. I just want you to experience it. So he's like, I just wish, I just wish I'd cut the whole thing off. Because they're actually marring the picture and the beauty and the pureness of the gospel and who Jesus is. And I know there are people here today that grew up in a church that has affected your picture of the gospel. I know there are people here today that there is someone in your life that claims to follow Jesus that has seriously hurt your picture of the gospel. And that should fire you up because the gospel is so good. It is Jesus plus nothing. You see, and we're going to go back to the kind of the obscure stuff that I showed us in the law and, and the, really the length of the law. There's over 600 different laws if you really want to get into it. But the whole purpose of the law was never to save, but was always to point. It was to point us to Jesus. Look what Jesus says in Luke 24. Jesus said to them, he said, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was so with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and in the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. What he's saying, he's saying, listen, because some of us, again, the extremes, it's like grace, and then it's like law. Some people are like, well, if I'm not under the law, just throw the whole thing out. Jesus, Paul saying, no, the law is important because the whole law pointed to Christ. So, in other words, let me explain this, because some of you are like, well, Harrison, how the heck does two different type of cottons point to Jesus? Listen, again, this is just a pattern, and there's 600 different things. But as you're reading, if you're reading the Old Testament, you're reading obscure things, ask yourself a question, how does this point to Jesus? How does this point to Jesus? I'll tell you cottons and seeds, how they point to Jesus and to God. Can I, can I tell you? So ceremonial things, civil things, moral things, they all point to Jesus, all point to God in some way. One of the main characteristics about God that you need to know is that God is holy. 
You guys know like Tropicana, like 100% pure orange juice? Like God is 100% pure. There is no hint of unholiness in him. And so when God gives these obscure laws to Israel, it has nothing to do with morality. There's nothing moral in not mixing fabrics. It is one giant object lesson. And so what God is trying to show them is when you mix fabrics, that is a, a, a picture of what God is not. God is not a mixture of anything. He is 100% pure. And so the whole point of it is just to point them back to God. And even more so, it's supposed to point them back to Jesus. Because what you need to understand is as we don't mix cottons, as we don't mix different seeds, it should paint this vivid picture that God is holy, but I am not. God is 100% pure, but I am 100% not. But it is pointing forward not just to God, but to someone that will one day be 100% pure. And that person came in the form of Jesus. And so when Jesus says, I came to fulfill the law, he is the one that the law was pointing to in every single circumstance, every single time. The Bible has all of these festivals. Every single festival, every single ceremony points to Jesus. The weekly Sabbath points not to a day, but to an eternal rest that will be found in Jesus. You can go through anything. There's the Festival of Tabernacles, this idea where they would celebrate the presence of God. It is pointing forward to something better, which is the Holy Spirit, which is the presence of God all the time. And so I don't want to go back to Tabernacle. I want the Holy Spirit. And so the whole law, is it making sense, is pointing to Jesus, the morality, all of the moral things. They're pointing to God. God has standards. I hope you understand that. But the law many times is there, and these are Paul, Paul's words, the law stands there to condemn me. What does that mean? It means it shows me that I'm not moral. You're like, well, Harrison, like, I, I do keep the law. I, I, I don't kill. I don't steal. But like, as I said, there's like 600 more, so keep going down the list. You'll find one. But then Jesus comes along in the book of Matthew, and he kind of ups the ante. And he's like, oh, you don't kill? He's like, I say anyone that looks at someone with anger has really, you're going to hell. That's what he says. He says, oh, you've never committed adultery? Any person that looks at someone with lust has committed adultery in their heart. And so the law, although it is good and God's standard is good, what it means when it says it stands to condemn us, it is there to show you once again that God is, not, that God is holy and you are not. God has an impossibly high standard that you can never get to. You're like, Harrison, this sounds kind of depressing. It is if you want to live under the law because you have no hope. That's the whole point. But praise be to God who loved us so much that he sent his only son named Jesus. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness, the holiness of God, the pureness of God. I can actually be how in Christ. That's the beauty of the gospel. And so Paul says, listen, listen, it's for freedom that Jesus has set you free. You are free because if I don't have Jesus, I live under the weight of the law. And the weight of the law always leads to despair and it leads to death. And I know I've, I've spent nine weeks talking about that. But in general, what this produces is one side of the spectrum known as legalism. This is legalism. Another name for it is religiosity. It's religiosity. 
And so if I want to live under the law, I become legalistic, meaning I believe I have to just keep these rules, then God will accept me. And I begin to, get a, begin to develop a religious spirit because the only way we can mask our own guilt for not keeping the law is to find people that we think we keep the law better than. And I can put myself above them. This is known as a religious spirit. This is legalism. Now, Paul says, pretty simple, we're no longer under the law. Now, I come from a background that doesn't necessarily have the best um, New Covenant theology, and so I have a lot of conversations um, with people. And when I say um, that we're no longer under the law, the very first thing, like clockworks, is crazy. Um, they say, so Harrison, you're saying I can steal? You're saying I can commit adultery? If I'm no longer under the law, because, like, again, the human spirit, what we want to do is if we're going to leave one extreme, we need to go to the other, right? Saying I can kill Harrison. And so the other end of the spectrum over here, and I guess my sides are mixed up, but legalism. The other side is known as licentiousness or antinomianism, um, even simpler rebellion, so licentiousness or antinomianism is literally this idea like I just go against everything God says. And so what happens is because we have this legalistic spirit and when God frees you from that, sometimes it's easy to begin to believe like that means I can do whatever I want. And then so I begin to live in rebellion. I begin to live in rebellion. And for some of us, it's like, well, Harrison, if I'm not under the law, isn't rebellion the best option? Like, isn't that kind of what Paul is saying? And now the beauty um, of Paul is that Paul knew where their minds were going to go before they even went there themselves. So he answers this very charge. Verse 13, he says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. See, what Paul is pointing out here, and I'm going to keep reading in a second, he's pointing out that if we do not understand the work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, we will just move from one extreme to the other. We will just move from legalism to licentiousness. And there are many people in your life, and maybe you've been there, you know these people. They grew up in a religious home. This idea they were never good enough. And so the moment they come out of their parents' grasp, what do they do? They go the other way, to rebellion. But what you need to understand is that religi religiosity is not from God, and rebellion is not from God. And so Paul says, the solution is so simple. He says, I walk, so I say, walk by the Spirit. Right? How, do I, how do I battle against religiosity? How do I battle against rebellion? He says, walk by the Spirit. And then you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in this constant conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, doubles down, you are not under the law. You can't do whatever you want, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. So, Old Covenant, you're judged simply this. Am I faithful to the law or not? Answer, not. New Covenant, Paul sets up a new dichotomy. 
It is not about law. It is not about faithful, not faithful. It is about one thing and one thing only. Am I walking in the Spirit or not? And so how he describes it is this fight between the Spirit and the flesh. The Spirit and the flesh. Our spirit and our flesh are constantly in a battle against each other. Now, what our flesh is, is just another word really for like um, kind of those desires, those, those sinful tendencies. It's just like those kind of deep things that live inside of us. You know what I mean? Like our flesh is that thing that like when someone cuts you off in traffic, like you want to just give them the finger so badly. Like that's the flesh, right? It's my, it's my unhinged self. It's my sinful nature self. And so Paul says the spirit of God is at work against the flesh. Now, some people are saying to yourself, well, Harrison, like, it seems like, because we're talking about a third way, it seems kind of like you're setting up a new dichotomy where it's like spirit over here, flesh over here. Wrong. What I want to show you is this, is that religiosity and rebellion are two sides of the same coin. And they are both you living in the flesh. Both are us in the flesh. When we walk in the spirit, we are neither rebellious nor religious. When we live in the flesh, everyone in this room, you lean one of two ways. You either lean towards religiosity or you lean towards rebellion. And the answer, Paul says, is not anything other than living in the spirit. These crazy things inside of me, my sinfulness. Like Harrison, give me three practical steps. Three apps to delete. Three people never to call again. Give me the steps. What's the solution to the, the flesh? Paul says one thing, live in the spirit. Live in the spirit. He sets up a new dichotomy. It is no longer law that keeps me moral. It is the Holy Spirit. You see, when God changed my life, um, I was 18 years old, and as far as the spectrum was concerned, I was probably more on the side of rebellion than I was on the side of religiosity. Um, but God came into my life, and I've kind of explained it a little bit in this series, um, for no reason other than he decided to. I didn't ask him to, didn't invite him in, he just came. It's kind of just how God rolls. And so I was 18 years old, uh, kind of living rebellious. It was New Year's Eve 2012, um, having a rebellious New Year's Eve come off somebody. And um, next day I woke up, like literally January 2nd, um, and I cannot explain it. For the next week, the Holy Spirit would not leave me alone. I did not invite him. Didn't ask him to be there, but he said so simply, he said, Harrison, I have something better for you. That was it. That was it. And so, like, it's, it's kind of a long story, but God began to change my life. But here where I am today is not where I started. So I went from rebellion, God changed my life. And the coolest thing about it is that when God changed my life, there was a whole bunch of things he told me to do. Stop doing, start doing. But number one, no one told me anything. It was all the Holy Spirit. I didn't even read anything, just Holy Spirit. But what happened um, over time is I had this deep desire for other people to know Jesus. But what I didn't realize is that Jesus wants to work in people the same way he wants to work in me, which is by the power of the Spirit. I didn't like that so much. And so what I did, and I, I, I didn't know it, but I just began to move from one extreme to the other. I went from rebellion right to religiosity. And all the people I wanted to experience Jesus, I just began to tell them what they need to stop doing. Hey, if you want to experience Jesus, you need to stop doing this. Don't you know what the Bible says? Morality, morality, morality. And you can begin to believe as a Christian that you're on the right path. 
But the essence of God is that God is not a God of behavior modification. He's a God of heart transformation. So God is not so much looking to change your behavior as much as he's looking to change your heart. And it took a long time, but one day the Spirit spoke to me. He said, Harrison, um, I'm not sure if you realize this, but like, that's not how I worked with you. The Bible says while we were in sin, in the midst of sin, it's not like you have to come out the other side, then God's going to speak to you. In the midst of it, God comes and he reaches people in. And where we get confused as followers of Jesus and the reason that we struggle so hard with this saying that we are no longer under the law is because there is this fear inside of us that if I throw out the law, how will people be moral? How will they know what is good? How will they know? Paul says by the spirit. Look what he says though. He says the acts of the flesh, underline this word, are obvious When I'm not living in the spirit, it's obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now, when I first read this passage, when I didn't have a solid biblical theology, I thought it was pretty simple. Like, oh, these are the behaviors that send you to hell. Case closed. Pretty simple. But when you understand the whole book of Galatians in the context, that's not what he's saying at all. What he's saying, he's saying, if you are not living in the spirit, if you are living in the flesh, it is obvious. If you in this room feel like you are living in the spirit, you know right away when someone's living in the flesh. I don't need to pull my Bible out. Like, hold on one second. Like, I, I think they're breaking God's law. It's obvious. Why? Because the Holy Spirit isn't dwelling in you. And the Bible says he gives us a new heart and a new morality, and he writes his law on your heart. But he says the acts of the flesh are obvious, and he goes on to list all these things, and he lists the rebellious things, right? Like sexual morality, impurity, debauchery, witchcraft. But he also lists a whole bunch of religious things, hatred, selfish ambition, dissension, all of those are a sign of a religious heart. And mostly they're a sign of someone that is living in the flesh. And so again, the answer isn't like, okay, so do I just stop being sexually immoral? Do I just stop envying? Do I just try a little bit harder? No, because that's the old way. In the new way, you just come to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit begins to do a work. And so he says, the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Look at this, underline it, highlight it. Against these things, there is no law. There's no law. And this is so rich. But one of the ways I explain it to people is that you need to understand this. And I'm kind of skipping ahead, but all the ceremonial, all the civil stuff is fulfilled in Christ. All of it points to Christ. Morality in the new covenant, how we live, it is, it is fulfilled in the person that is moral, but it is also enhanced. And what that means is that when I come to Jesus, my morality does not decrease, my morality increases. Why? Because the fruits of the Spirit are so encompassing. Love is so encompassing. Joy, peace, it is so encompassing. There are situations you will deal in life, there is no way a law is going to help you out. It just won't. When someone betrays you, when a best friend betrays you in a way that you never thought was possible, what law is going to help you? 
What you need is the work of the Spirit that gives you peace that passes understanding. And so the Spirit always increases. And he says, those who belong to Jesus, look at this, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, Paul says, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. You see, the essence of what he is saying, he's saying, now that I live in the Spirit, what do I do with all of those things? I don't, I don't just make a list of what I'm going to try to stop doing. He says, I literally crucify my flesh. What does that mean? It means each and every day I wake up and I say, Jesus, there is a war waging within me. I love you. I want to follow you, but I got some bad things in me. You guys ever experienced that? Paul says, each and every day, crucify the flesh. Let it die. Kill it. Because the answer, it'd be so easy for him to just go back and say, like, well, well go read the Old Testament because there is good things in there. So easy to be like, well, when you're struggling with the flesh, go, go read the Ten Commandments and see what it says about morality. He doesn't say that because he's giving them a new way and a new picture. He's saying, instead, just crucify your passions. Give it to Jesus. And so what I want us to understand, the third way, we have religiosity on one side. We have rebellion on the other side. They are both life in the flesh. The third way exists above on a higher plane, and it is life in the spirit. It's life in the spirit. You see, legalism says, what must I do in order to be saved? Rebellion, licentiousness says, because I'm saved, I can do whatever I want. The third way, the way of the spirit, it says, because of what Jesus has done, I am saved, and I will live in a way that honors him, that honors him. Claire, we're going to wrap up, so you can come up here. Um, Paul says again, I kind of want to go back. We read this verse, I'm going to read it again. But he says, you, my brothers and sisters, you were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled. You want to follow Jesus? Super simple. Love your neighbor as yourself. You're called to be free. At the end of the day, whatever you're struggling with right now, maybe you're going towards rebellion, maybe you're going towards religiosity, wherever your heart is leaning, neither of those ways lead to freedom. There is a one-way ticket to freedom. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And if you feel like, man, I have a whole bunch of bad experiences, I have bad theology, I got bad people in my life that are influencing me, Harrison, how do I get off the spectrum? How, how, do I, how do I get off the rebellious train? How do I get off the religious train? To get off the rebellious train is not to live better. It is to come to Jesus. To get off the religious train, it is not to try to enter a life of rebellion. It's to come to Jesus and to have an infilling and a fresh revelation that only the Holy Spirit can give us. So right now, I want us to stand up. Because I just want to pray for us, because I believe that there is one solution and one solution only. Harrison, how do I get to the third way? It is the Holy Spirit. Normally, I ask, you know, those of us that, that need to raise our hand, raise our hands. I believe today, every single person in this room, we all need the Holy Spirit. And so right now, with every head bowed, every eye closed, could you just open your hands up in a receiving posture? Because I just want, to I want us to receive this. I want us to receive the spirit that God has for us. So Jesus, 
right now, God, I just pray, you know our histories, you know our stories, you know the little things that are keeping us from you, God. I just pray today, right now, in this place, in this space, God, I pray for a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit, God. I pray that today, right now, in this place, someone feels the Holy Spirit as they have never felt you before, God. So I just pray, Jesus, that we can receive you, God. I pray that you unlock something inside of us, Jesus. Tear down every single wall, tear down every stronghold that keeps us from experiencing your goodness. Jesus, right now, we just pray, just come in this space, God. Just speak to us in this space. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, whichever way we need to move today, God, may today be the day that we get off of these extremes and we begin to live in your spirit, God. Make us anew. Make us fresh. We love you, Jesus. We pray in your mighty, your holy, your awesome name. Hey, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to that message. We hope that you were encouraged and inspired. If you made a decision to follow Jesus or you want to find out more about our church, why don't you head over to kingdomchurch.ca. We would love to get in contact with you. Until next time, take care.